Hello, everyone. Is everyone excited this morning? Are we glad to be alive? Praise the Lord. The Bible said, let the weak say, I am strong. And that's what I'm doing this morning. Praise God. We had an all-day garage sale yesterday. And I tell you what, I don't know what we end up with. Where's Todd or Shannon? They out? About 1,500? I'm sorry, I wasn't in here. I was downstairs trying to get my heart prepared. Anyway, we were blessed yesterday, but we were also blessed with a lot of sun. And standing out in the heat and the sun and so forth will kind of take it out of you a little bit, especially if you've had about four days after one of, or getting to bed after 1 o'clock in the morning. But nonetheless, hallelujah, thank God for the Holy Spirit. That's all that counts, right? So all I need to do is open the channel and let the Holy Spirit flow this morning. And so let's just open the channels. Let's open up our ears this morning. Ask God to prepare our heart for the word. Father, we're so grateful for Jesus. We exalt him to the highest place this morning. Father, in all seriousness, in all commitment, Jesus, we exalt you above everything. You're the word of life come down from heaven, having been broken for us. And we declare, Jesus, we're not of those that would run when you said anyone uh, Father God, that would follow you, must eat after your flesh, must drink your blood. Father, we would eat and drink freely. <laughs> Father, we would be identified with Christ, crucified with him, Father God. Hallelujah. And that, Father God, that those things that would remain and, and, and live in us would not be us, Father God, but it would be you, Lord Jesus. And I just thank you, Father God, for the newness of life in this place right now. I thank you for the spirit of life, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I yield my members unto you. And I thank you that you will speak through these lips, Lord God. Holy Ghost, speak through these lips, the word in season. Bring the manna from heaven this morning. And we're thankful for it. We're thankful for eyes to see, for ears to hear, and for receptive hearts and good soil this morning. To bring, full, uh, bring uh, forth uh, some 30, 60, and 100 fold return. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. So last week... Uh, CJ asked me when we got finished, he said, would you care about going another week? I said, that's fine. So for those of y'all that were here last week, we talked about some faith concepts. I really don't like this, Mike. You know, too bad I don't have a Pepsi that single. Y'all remember those commercials? (laughs) What's amazing what sound and visual, you know, stimulus have on you, you know. What's that? I need a straw so I can sip it. Okay. (laughs) Oh, praise the Lord. Well, we talked about faith and some concepts. And I hope last week that you uh, received some concepts that you have not uh, heard before or that it became an engrafted word rather than going in one ear and out the other you were diligent to hear and receive the word and be receptive and it went in and took root hallelujah and i believe for that i believe for a return on that word that was brought forth last week and so we're going to continue along the line this week and uh, i want to just go over a couple concepts that we talked about last week we talked about faith what's the big deal how come faith is such a big deal? I mean, why is it faith, 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 faith? We even have in church, churches named Word of Faith, Faith Life Fellowship, you know, Rhema Bible Training Center. We have all these faith, faith, faith-oriented things. Uh, some people are called faith preachers, you know. 
I mean, why? what is the big deal about faith? And we talked about several things to do with Jesus' ministry to try to bring forth some of the, the, the importance you know, and significance of why faith is such a big deal. And we talked about Jesus having been anointed with the Spirit without measure as a minister operating with the Spirit without measure, but yet he did not have carte blanche to just do whatever he wanted to do in the Spirit whenever he wanted to do it. He had to do it as the Spirit willed. He said, I only do those things that my father says to do. I only say those things that my father says to say. And the same holds true for us. Even we see Jesus as one who up to that point in time was anointed with the amount and the presence of the Spirit of God and the power of the Spirit of God that up to that time no man had ever experienced, had no measures put. And I told you all that I really felt like that that wasn't, that's not saying that we receive the spirit without measure we have the potential to operate as jesus in this world that's what the word says he says as i am so you are in this world that's how we're to be and jesus even prayed to his father for us to be like him in this world you know and so remember i was talking about how we should but here's what happens it's not that we have we receive the spirit with measure we put the measures on the spirit that's the problem And we, because of sin, because of unrighteousness, because of things that we allow in our lives, we put the Holy Spirit in in a box. We place a dam over our life and become a reservoir instead of a river. And Jesus said when the Spirit of God would come into a man, it would become what? Rivers, right? Rivers of life. It doesn't say reservoirs, but you know what? Here in Oklahoma... Oklahoma has the, the, you know, there's many things that Oklahoma is like the 47th in, the 41st in, and the whatever. But I'll tell you one thing that we're really high up on is we have many miles of shoreline. Did anyone know that? Matter of fact, we have about as much miles of shoreline, more miles of shoreline than Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. Can you believe that? And the reason for that is because we have created a lot of artificial Lakes, they're not called lakes, they're called reservoirs. And what every one of these reservoirs have been made from is to dam up a flowing body of water. And so what we've done here in this world, or in this earth here in Oklahoma, is we, that we had a, a, a congressman who happened to do a lot to earmark a lot of funds to come to this state. And it was through the uh, uh, flood prevention program. And this man right here that works for NRCS can tell us all about that. Used to work for NRCS, retired, Marty. He can tell us all about the, the uh, uh, flood prevention program. And it's a wonderful program, but we implemented over 2,000 of these little floodwater retarding structures, they call them, uh, in the state of Oklahoma. That's more than any state in the whole nation. Man, I mean, we got a lot of money to do that. And, you know, it's a really neat infrastructure to have that and so forth. But i tell you what. <clears throat> I think it speaks prophetically of what we see in men and women's lives. Because what happens a lot of times is is we want to put through our choices, through our decisions, through our judgments, through the positions and dogmatic uh, places that we might choose to stand in and not be open to listening to things that might challenge our, our religion, our belief systems. Rather than let the Word try us, we try the Word and we put dams up in our life and become reservoirs. And God, I hear to, I'm here to tell you this morning, doesn't want a reservoir. He wants a flowing, living body of water. He wants an output. Hallelujah. 
He doesn't want a container. He wants a vessel to flow through. Amen. Hallelujah. And so, you know, let's don't let's don't put limitations on the spirit. I'm here to tell you this morning, I don't believe that God intends for us to, ha- to operate in the spirit with measures. He intends for us to operate as Jesus did and to operate in a limitless potential with the anointing. You know, Christ in us, the hope of glory, the anointed one and his anointing in us, our confident expectation of his presence. That's that's the absolute manifestation or that's the revelation of that scripture from the Greek. Our hope means confident expectation. Well, Christ in us, our hope of glory. Christ means the anointed one and his anointing. Well, it's his smeared on, rubbed on potential in us that becomes our confident expectation. That's hope of his glory is his manifest presence. So his smeared on, rubbed on potential. If we'll learn to operate in that smeared on, rubbed on potential of God, the Holy Spirit, not put limitations on him, then we have a confident position to expect his presence. But if we don't operate and seek the anointing in our lives, as Jesus did continuously, moment by moment, sometimes having to tear away from his own people that he was discipling, tear away from his closest friends, so it says in the Bible he could get alone by himself and get away from everybody, to seek God. You know, i tell you what this morning, I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to just exhort some people this morning. We're going to see where we go with this. We're talking about faith. Everybody turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I open my heart to receive this. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay. And I want you, want you to scan down to verse 25, Philippians 2.25. Oh, please, please listen to this this morning. This is going to be different this morning, okay? Is that okay? This is Paul talking to the church at Philippi. And listen to what he's telling them. So these are believers, folks. Everybody say, these are believers. These are believers. This is the church. This is what he says, says, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Everybody said he was ill. He was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. Everybody say almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Now, I submit to you this morning there in that verse, in verse 30, because he almost died for the work of Christ, that Epaphroditus literally worked himself to a place he almost died. I want you to hear the voice of the Spirit this morning. There's a reason why God instituted the Sabbath. We don't 
rest from our labors, folks. And if God himself, whom, in, who, in whose image we have been created on the seventh day, rested from all his labors, then by God, we better rest from our labors. Huh? I'm telling you this morning, by the unction of the Spirit of God, it's okay to take a day of rest, folks. Amen with that? Our society says no. You go, 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 go. And how many people end up in an early grave because, and I'm talking about spirit-filled Christians. I'm talking about people that are ministers out of the pulpit. I'm talking about five-fold ministers that work themselves into an early grave. And people look and see their lives having been snuffed out before the fullness and the will of God has been brought forth in the natural. And they say, dear God, what happened to that man? Dear God, what happened to that woman? Why did they check out so early? And I'm here to tell you this morning, it's because of their own uh, decisions to keep going and not listen to the counsel of the Word of God. Not listen to common sense. If on the seventh day God rested from all His labors, then don't you think that we need to rest from our labors every once in a while? So people look at me and say, "God, you're, or Greg, you're just talking about being lazy. No, I'm not. I'm not talking, if you call God lazy then, because God took a Sabbath. And why do you think God instituted the Sabbath? It wasn't for a day for people to come up with all these stupid rules and regulations, add to the law in in the construct of religion, and make it absolutely impossible almost for people except for people like Paul and others and those that could apply themselves to the bitter end in the natural and the soul to ascribe themselves in in perfect uh, obedience to it. God didn't call for a day for that. He wasn't calling a religious day. He was calling a day because he knew darn good and well that we're a sack of dirt. And dirt gets tired, huh? You've got to let dirt rest. Why do you think he told them after a certain number of years you don't plant any crops on that land anymore? You give it a rest. He even gives the land a rest. That was a law back in the day. But yet what we do in today's agriculture is continue to plant, continue to plant, continue to plant. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a believer in agriculturalist. I mean, I'm a, I was a future farmer of America, you know, born not of faith but of deeds. The goodness of whatever it was. You remember the creed, don't you? Future farmers of America. I believe in the future of farming. A faith born not of words but of deeds. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you this morning, we are a bunch of agriculturalists, but we've got to listen to God's counsel. We've got to learn to rest. Folks, I'm speaking to everyone by the Spirit of God this morning. It's okay to rest. Frank, it's okay to rest, brother. Okay? Take your rest, brother. I'm speaking by the Spirit of God this morning. Take your rest, brother. It's okay. Don't, Don't look at yourself and think that that doesn't apply to you. Don't look at yourself and think you're being lazy. You're not. You deserve it, brother. God says it. I'm speaking to everyone this morning. Steve, it's, Stephen, it's okay. Take a rest, brother. It's okay. It's okay, Han. Marty, it's okay. Brother, you're a worker. You're a workaholic, aren't you, Marty? Okay, good. You know, I'm telling you, it's okay. I'm speaking to everyone. It's okay. God says it's okay. I've made a Sabbath for a reason. Now, listen, we take that day, and what we need to do is just enjoy our family, enjoy our wives, our kids, enjoy the time you've got to just do something you enjoy doing. Go fishing. But you know why you're doing it and all that you do? Think of God. 
thank him for his goodness. Look to him and his mercies and say, God, help me, recover me, recuperate me. You know, wake up in the morning on that day and just decide this is a day that, it, that I'm going to walk in the cool of the day with God. You know, because a lot of times we don't have to, the time in the natural. We just don't. Things are going on all the time. God realizes that. And you can walk with him under your breath, you know, in the spirit through the day. But I know I get up and go to work every day. I get up at 5.15, 5.30 in the morning every day to go to work. I know the cares that come on and weigh down, the anxieties, the things that divide your attention. God knows that. Do you think God doesn't know that? you think God's looking down on you with condemnation and judgment? No. But you know what God's saying? Take a rest from it. Take a rest from it. Listen to the Holy Spirit this morning. Folks, take a rest. Take a rest. It's okay. Take a day. Go on a date. CJ always talks about, you know, he and Lisa taking a date night every week. Parents, take a date night. I don't, I don't hardly ever do that. Mel, I'm sorry. I'm a stupid idiot. You know why? Because I freaking come home after working all day and I've got the lawn to mow. I've got weed eating to do. I've got garden things that I've got to get on. I've got the oil to change, the car to service. I've got all these stupid things that don't make a hill's beans a difference and I'm letting the most important things, man, continue to go to the wayside. Man, there's some words I want to say right now, but it won't be fit for this environment. I tell you, folks, it's ridiculous. Listen to the Spirit of God. Help me, Holy Spirit. Man, this is hitting me hard this morning. Man, it's time to rest. We've got to learn. Holy Spirit, help us to learn what the Sabbath is. Let's open our hearts to receive a reinstitution of the Sabbath. And I don't mean like, if you've ever seen, what was that fiddler on the roof, you know? I'm not talking about, you know, the religious, you know, you've got to get everything in before the sun goes down. Close the doors, get your things on your heads and get everyone gathered around. No, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about relationship. Praise God, man. Man, what does that have to do with faith? But I receive it. Don't you receive that this morning? Is that, is that bringing peace to anyone this morning? Man, hear the voice of God. It's okay, brother, to take a rest. It's okay. And you know what? You need to institute it in your life. I mean, don't, don't institute it religiously. But like when you see that day coming, you're just like, this is a day. I'm, this is it. This is my Sabbath right here. Set it aside. Consecrate it. And then everyone else that wants to call in and say, you need to come do this, need to come do that, I'm sorry. It's okay to say no. You know, that was a decision. That's a decision to make. And I tell you, I I have had times in my life, I remember growing up, I was a person that I wanted to always please everybody. People say, Greg, we need to come over here and help you move these people. Okay, I'll come over here. We need to come over here and knock on doors with this ministry. We need to come over here and do it. And it's like, yes, yes, yes. Pretty soon I got myself so spread so thin, you can't be effectual at anything you're doing. Because you spread so thin. You know, it's like, uh, uh, what was his name? Not Frodo Baggins, but that other guy, his, his whatever, his uncle or whatever. He said, I feel like a little bit of butter spread across too much bread. <laughs> that's, that's what it is, you know. Help us, Lord. Okay, so let's get back. We see here a good example here of, of a minister. You say to yourself, so Greg, are you telling me that you can work too much in the ministry? Yes. 
Or can you kill yourself physically and be doing the will of God? You know, or be working for the kingdom? Let me say, let me rephrase that. Can you kill yourself in the natural, working yourself for the kingdom of God, doing good works, and, and leave this earth without fulfilling all the days God's ascribed for you? Yes. Epaphroditus just about did it. And I want you to notice something. Who was he with? Was Paul a man of faith? Was Paul someone that laid his hands on people and saw the manifest presence of God, saw faith born in people, and saw, saw that, you know, bring forth the result in people's life? Then I submit to you this morning, why did Epaphroditus go, get ill? Why did he almost die? If Paul was right there with him. Come on now, amen or oh me. I mean, Paul's right there with him. How in the world? The man of faith, I'm going to tell you, there's not very many men that have walked that I know of and that are at least written and chronicled on page like Paul that lived the life in the Word and Revelation, except for Jesus. And I tell you, there he was with the revelator, with the man that had revelation and, and, and walked in the anointing, and yet he almost died. I mean, that's incredible if you stop and think about that. But it said, why did it say he almost died? He almost died for the work of Christ. I'm here to tell you this morning, man, God's not calling any men to work their fingers to the bloody bone, man, in the natural. He will grace you to do what he's called you to do. And you go in that grace. That's what the word says. You do all things by grace. And that's what Paul said. But for the grace of God, go I. In other words, if it weren't for the grace of God, I don't go. I've got to have the grace. And so that's what I say this morning to all of us. Let's do it in the grace of God. And then let's listen to the common sense that God laid forth from the beginning of the earth. Let's have a Sabbath. Let's consecrate a day, man, for taking time and resting. Letting our bodies recoup. Okay. Thank you, brother, for refreshment. What was the word say about someone that brings a cup of cool water? Ah, yes. It just doesn't go shh. Okay, so let's just get right into let's get right into this message today. Okay, so we talked about some concepts of faith last week, you know, and we, we talked about some things that were a little bit different. And now let's talk a little bit about what faith is. How about that? We talked about concepts of faith. You know, I think I was telling my young adults on Thursday night. I think that's why I like the base so much. Because I'm a foundations guy. And the bass is about foundation. You know? And the louder the better for me. And I know some folks are like, oh, dear Lord. You know, is he going to turn it up any louder? Uh, I mean, I like it where my heart's going. <laughs> I like to feel it in my bones, man. Because <laughs> the bass is foundation. And, and that's, I just, I just love that. And from the spiritual perspective, God's anointed me to bring foundations first before anything. I just feel foundations, foundation, foundation. That's what we're talking about with respect to faith. It's foundational, folks. It's not the pinnacle of the spiritual maturity in life. It's foundation. And yet, here we are as a congregation right now in the spirit here this day, and then all across the world as a body of Christ, and we don't have this concept down. So, you know, where are we, you know, we need to get it. We need to get it down so we can move on to more things, to greater things, you know, to meet the word. And that's not condemnation. I mean, I'm the same way. I'm still learning in this. I'm still steeping myself. I'm still growing in maturity in this. 
Okay, so let's talk a little bit about faith. What is faith? Well, real simply, you can see in Hebrews 11, verse 1. So everybody, let's just turn there real quick. Hebrews 11, 1. Talking about faith this morning. Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There are many different translations, some of which are a little bit better than others. But let me give you the Greg translation this morning. Faith is a persuasion. It's a conviction which founds and results in hope. So the bottom line is, is it's a persuasion. It's a persuasion. It's not a belief. So that's the first thing we've got to understand is faith is not belief. Do you know that Jesus said even the demons believe in and tremble? Is it doing them any good? No. No. I mean, so in, in many, many, many people have lived their lives here and they believe in God and they've died and they're, they're awaiting their, their ushering into hell. And there's a reason. And you say, well, how in the world can you say that, Greg? How can people believe in God and then die and go to hell? Because belief is not enough. I can believe in all kinds of stuff, man. I mean, I can believe in the, you know, in the law of gravity. I can say, you know, I can see the results of gravity and stuff, but it doesn't apply to me. And go out here to the top of this building and walk right off the end of it thinking that it doesn't apply to me. And boom, I hit the ground and may kill myself and probably at a minimum break some legs and look like a fool. But yet people are doing that every day in the spirit. They're choosing to ignore what their heart what their heart, if they would listen with the ears of this, of their heart, would receive and, and, and act on, what God wants them to receive and act upon. And the action is confession. That if you believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. It's a twofold action. You can't just believe and see the salvation of God. You have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth. Romans 10, 9, 10. I didn't make that up. And the same thing with the same faith and the same you know, action through which you believe to receive salvation, folks. You live and move and have your being in the Spirit and walk by that same faith and action, receiving the promises of God manifest in your life. You believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. And it's not just a repetitious action. It's not mind over matter. It is, but it does start with the belief. But you have to come to the place that you become persuaded. That's the thing. It's not enough to just believe. But I mean, you believe to the place that you are persuaded. When you are persuaded, that means you can't be moved. You are completely to the side of seeing nothing else but this. This is it. I don't care what else anyone else says. I don't care what circumstances are telling you. You see nothing but this. That is persuasion. And it causes you in the face of certain despair to still believe. That's persuasion. Faith is a persuasion. It's a conviction that founds and results in hope. So faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So then hope is a part of this action too. It's not just belief. It's not a persuasion only. But it's also 
a confident expectation. It's hope. Biblical hope, though, everyone, this morning, is not what we feel and say hope is. When I say, I sure hope that Grandma is going to make her whatever, chocolate sheet cake or angel food cake for, you know, the next holiday you go to spend time with Grandma. You know, because I love that. I hope that, you know, I hope she makes that. It's not like you're wishing for something. That, that, that's when we say hope, a lot of times we're, we're, we're saying wish. Boy, I wish that would happen. But with God and with this faith thing, it's not wishing. We're not talking about wishing. We're talking about confident expectation. So when you say hope, you are expecting. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's a persuasion that what you're believing you expect to see in your life. That's faith. That's another way of saying Hebrews 11.1. 1. That's faith. So it means a confident, joyous expectation. So literally, Hebrews 11.1 1 is the foundation of confident, joyous expectation. So if you're in faith, you've got to be expecting. You can't be in faith and not be in expectation. So let me put it forth an illustration this morning. When we look at Precious ladies that are carrying or with child, what do we call them? Expectant mothers, right? They're expecting. Now I submit to you, why in the world would we say that word of them? Why, I mean, what is it that they're expecting? I mean, you, you go and say, oh, you're an expectant mother, I see. You're expecting, you're expecting. Why do we use that term? Everyone knows why. I mean, we don't even have to go into that because... We know, we see the evidence. And I want you to see the same thing here in this analogy. It's the same thing with faith. There is an evidence. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The difference is, is that you don't see a pregnant belly on yourself like you do if you're a mother. Or if I'm looking at some other, you know, expectant mother to be. But it's the same difference. Because you have to look at it through the eye of the Spirit. Not the eye of the mind or the eye of the flesh. You have to be persuaded that that which you are believing and have confessed based on a spoken word of God, a rhema word of God unto you, that you understand you are standing upon that rhema, confessing that rhema in your life, and then you are an expectant mother. Guys, you too. You are an expectant person. If you're not expectant, you're not in faith. You're not in faith. You have to. Faith demands expectancy. Faith is expectancy. It's a substance of things hoped for, which are, is a confident expectation. You have to be, have this concept of expectation uh, as a revelation in your life. You have to understand this to understand what faith is. So if you're in faith, you're expecting. Faith itself isn't the expectation. It's persuasion. So you must believe in something to be persuaded of its truth and thus be moved to expectation. So it starts with the belief and the belief as you continue to confess, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. At some point in time, what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit, if you are truly seeking this concept and it's not just a matter of religion, but it's a matter of something that you are seeking with your life. 
that you know that one that God is, and that he's a rewarder of those that, that diligently seek him. You are seeking him, and you know that as you begin to fit, to allow the, the word of God come into your heart, fill your mouth, and then, and then speak it out, and fill your heart, fill your mouth, and speak it out, and fill your heart. At some point in time, the Holy Spirit is going to energize that action with rhema. It's going to convert just like Jesus took the water that was in the vessels of clay and transformed them into wine. At some point in time, it's going to go from the water in the vessels that he, that he uh, spoke over at that, the, the uh, marriage at Canaan. It's just going to be just like that. One day, that's, yes, it's water, it's water. The people go back and look, it's water, it's water. But one day, if you will continue... If you will continue in this, that water will change to wine. The wine of rhema. The wine of understanding. The spirit of fruitfulness in what you believe. And that will be the foundation of faith that will manifest the promise in your life. So why faith? We talked about what is faith. Well, why faith? You know, how about Hebrews eleven six? Just look down the page. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so this morning I've submit to you, is there any, the Bible says that with God, all things are possible. Well, yeah, all things are possible with God, except one thing. <laughs> well, you say, well, that sounds like a contradiction. Diction, right? No, you know, there is something that's impossible. It's impossible. There's an impossibility to live, eat, breathe, and sleep in God and be pleasing unto him without faith. It's impossible to come unto God without faith. That's an impossibility. You can't, God and faith are together. They're synonymous. You cannot come and approach God and live in the kingdom principles without faith. If any man were to come unto God, if he would see God, he must believe that he is and believe that he's a rewarder of them. You don't go seeking God if you don't expect him to be there. Why would you do that? That's lunacy. No more than I would go to my mom and dad's house knowing full well that they're not there, drive all the way there from Guthrie to go to visit them, and they are not there. Why would I do that? Folks, when we come and we look for God, when we're seeking God on something, you expect him to be there. You have to do exactly what that scripture says. You must believe that he is. Well, believing that he is means he's there. What it is that you're seeking God in is there. You're looking to see his presence, his manifest power and ability on your behalf. You have to see it in the situation in, when you're seeking him, that you're seeking him in. Otherwise, forget it. <clears throat> okay, so why faith? The second point. Your life with God starts by faith. We, we talked about that. Hebrews eleven three. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were made of things which do not appear. So Greg, are you telling me this morning that, that through the word of faith, through faith, through the action of faith, God manifests a physical uh, manifestation, a physical uh, form from nothing? Yes, that's what I'm saying. He framed the, the literal context for this world and everything that we know in it to exist, including the span of time that he's ordered for your life. He framed it with his word. He spoke it into being. 
He didn't sit there and go and think. It didn't say that God thought about light and light was. It said God said light be and light was. The same holds true for us. We're created in the image of God. If he's a being of world of word and he frames his world by his words, then we are beings of word and we frame our world by our words. Amen. So that means you want you you say, Greg, you're talking a lot about confession this morning. You're talking a lot about the importance of what we say. Yes, I am. Hear the voice of the spirit of God this morning. It is about what you say. It is about what you're not saying. It, it both goes hand in hand. What, so I submit to you this morning, what are you not saying about your life? What is it that you are silent on this morning? I feel the Spirit of God wants to stir that concept up. A lot of us are looking so much at what we're saying, but how about what we're not saying? Are we not, rather than sitting there in the, the context of circumstance and just taking it on and taking it on, taking it on as a good soldier of Christ... I'm suffering for Jesus. Well, the bottom line is, why would you, I mean, God, through his redemptive process, has conquered the fullness of the curse of the law, which is poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. It's not enough just to be saved by grace from, from a certain hell. We're saved for us to, from poverty. We're saved, according to the word, from sickness. We're not to walk and allow that stuff in our lives. And people say, well, then, well, then, Greg, why does it happen to people? I say, because of this right here. Because we don't appropriate the word of God. We don't appropriate what rightfully belongs to us through faith. Everybody turn over to 1 Corinthians. Man, I'm leaving my notes like crazy today. First Corinthians chapter 11. Okay, so let's look down here at, uh, let's look at verse 29. First Corinthians eleven twenty-nine. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. And a lot of people say, stop right there, Greg, because that's why, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of people don't take the Lord's Supper because if you take it it in an unworthy manner, you're going to bring damnation upon yourself. Well, let's let's continue on here. Verse 30, it says, that is why. Everybody say, that is why. Many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. So let me submit this to you. If he says, that is why, then doesn't that imply that it shouldn't be? In other words, this is a cause. What does some of your translations say? For this reason? Is that what some of yours says? Say, well, if it says for this reason, then doesn't that imply that, there, that it shouldn't really be happening? In other words, there's a cause to what's happening here. There's a cause to many of us being sick. There's a cause to many of us being weak. There's a cause to many of us dying. Going to sleep means dying. Early lives ahead of our time that has been uh, described by God. There's a cause for that. 
And yes, I, I, I believe in not drinking in an unworthy manner and taking in the blood. But at the same time, my Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Not when I cleaned my act up. Huh? So I tell you what, if when I was the most wretched, nasty, foul thing and stench in the nostrils of God, God did the best thing for me, then how much more as a child of his, I'm not going to be in a position where he's going to look with judgment and damn in a... In a and a staff of damnation, if I make the wrong move, boom, curse on your life. we got to wash that out of our minds, folks. Now, yes, if you are out of the will of God, you better expect his hand to not have covers. He, it's not because he goes, whoop, they're out of my will. I take my cover. It's because there's spiritual laws involved here. If you violate and transgress those laws, just like if I violate and transgress the law of gravity, and I step off the edge of a building saying that this doesn't apply to me, this doesn't apply to me, boom, boom. And I break my legs. I can't look to God and curse him for what's happened to me. No, I did something stupid. I transgressed the law that God. You, you, it's no different, folks. People are we're looking every day at what happens in circumstances of people's lives. And we're it's no different than people walking off the edge of a building saying in defiance, saying the law of gravity doesn't apply to me. Woo, boom, they hit the ground. And, and then everybody's sitting there looking at those people's lives and saying, dear God, God judged them. Well, come on. God didn't judge them. They, they transgressed the law. And the same holds true in the spirit. We just don't look at it the same way. But you know what? It's no different. Every single day, if you violate the spiritual laws in your life that God has, has set forth since the foundation of the world, guess what? It's like walking off the end of the building. It's like you saying, they don't apply to me. They don't apply to me. Boom. Boom. And then everybody, including the and most importantly the church, fellow brothers and sisters, looking at each other and going, "Oh, dear God, they were look what they did. God judged them." Well, come on. No, they were dumb. And you know what? It, maybe they weren't dumb. Let me let me back off. Maybe they were ignorant. Maybe they're ignorant. You know, there's a difference between dumb and ignorance. Does everyone understand that? Dumb is just defiant against what you know is right. Don't apply to me. Like X, these these uh, X games, that's dumb. These these uh, extreme sports, that's dumb. If they get hurt and break their neck and die, that's dumb. That's not. Oh, look at them, poor little thing. No, that's dumb. They 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 wanted to teeter and totter on the on the razor's edge of defying the laws of gravity, defying the laws of physics, and they failed. They lost. And you can't feel bad for it. Well, sure, it's bad if they die. Well, they, they knew the consequences when they entered that sport. That's dumb. Now, there's a difference between dumb and ignorance. Ignorance means you didn't know. Now, we can't fault that. But what does the Bible say? My people perish for lack of knowledge. What is lack of knowledge? Ignorance. Yes, praise God. I saw some lights come on. I did. Praise God, man. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Help us to not be ignorant. And you're not being ignorant this morning. You're getting it. You're getting it. Hallelujah. Because the word's coming forth. You now have an accountability for the word that's come forth. Don't be ignorant. I like what Will Rogers said. Every man's ignorant just on different subjects. And you know what? That's the, the, that's the truth of it. Especially when it comes to the things of God. But yet ignorance will kill you. It'll kill you. So be open. Listen. Listen. Listen to it. And so, you know, why are you reading this, Greg? Well, because I want to show you that, that there's a cause to sickness. And let's, let's read on what it says. 
So it says, that is why, or for this cause, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you fall asleep. But if we judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Okay, so the bottom line is, we understand that there's a cause. And, and what does it say? It talks about not discerning the Lord's body. Right? It talks about not discerning the Lord's body as being the main reason for this sickness or for this cause that many are weak and sick and some of you sleep early because you don't rightly discern the Lord's body. Well, what does discern, the word discern mean? It means to understand. It means to understand. What does understand mean? It means to not be ignorant. And so here we go with that same thing. thing. Folks, if you don't, if we are ignorant about what Isaiah 53 says, that himself bore our sickness and infirmities. You know, he, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we were healed. If we're ignorant of that, we, will, we can die uh, because of sickness in our lives. And so I submit to you this morning that one of the number one causes of sickness and disease and early death in the body of Christ is that we don't rightly discern the Lord's body. Yes, some of us might, you know, do some things to transgress the Lord in an egregious manner and transgress the spiritual law and drink judgment unto ourselves like this scripture is, is talking about. But also, if you don't rightly discern, rightly understand the inappropriate, the knowledge that Jesus Christ was striped and wounded for your sicknesses. He bore the punishment for your sins. You don't have to bear them any longer. And if you don't understand that and let that become a rhema to you where it, it dispels ignorance and you're able to stand on that foundation in your life and confess with your mouth, believe in your heart and receive that salvation, then you can die of sickness. And God, and it's against the will of God. God has that there for us to appropriate. And so I submit to you this morning, folks, let's don't be ignorant about the body of Christ. I can go even another level, not just being ignorant of the body of Christ from the perspective of him having borne our punishment. Him, by his stripes, we are healed. As a matter of fact, the, the scripture, that's what it says in Isaiah 53, but in 2 Peter 2.24, it says, by his stripes, you were healed, were. It's a past tense deal. We've already had that thing done for us. It's not a matter of something we're waiting for. It's a matter of something that's in the bank account for us. We go down and write a check for it with faith, and we receive it appropriated in our lives. We demand it. So, too, the things you need in terms of, of your needs being met. Because poverty was another thing that was a, a part of the curse of the law that was defeated. But yet, if you're ignorant about that, you can die. My people die for lack of knowledge. That's just Greg's version of it. My people perish for lack of knowledge. My people die for ignorance. There's my version of it. Okay. So... <clears throat> We're commanded to live by faith. If you look at Galatians 3.11, believing is not optional. Faith is not optional. Now, I want you to see that God is not motivated according to your need. You know, we can be in a situation that we are crying out to God all day long, all night long, in a bed of tears and sweat and torment, and it doesn't move God any more 
than someone, you know, who does something even more extreme. It doesn't move God. What moves God is the, is the answer and the reply of faith to him. It's someone that sits through the circumstances and continues to be confident and expectant on what they have believed and continues to confess that with their mouth. The Bible says, hold fast our profession. There must be a reason why we have to hold fast because it wants to leave us, because we want to abandon it. But we aren't of those that shriek back and are destroyed, but we are those that believe and are saved. That's what the word says. So do we believe this morning? Yes, if we do believe, you say, Greg. Well, then I say this morning, hold fast your profession, which really means hold fast your confession. Don't stop. Well, there's even a song by Journey, wasn't it? Don't stop believing. Don't stop believing this morning, folks. But it's not enough to believe. Don't stop confessing. Don't stop letting your mouth be filled with the word of God that is energized by the faith in your heart and continuing to make the demand in the spirit. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Romans 10:17 says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you look at the original Greek, folks, from which the New Testament, the lion's share of the New Testament was translated, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema of God. If you look at the word word, it was translated from the word rhema, R-H-E-M-A. That means the spoken word of God. That means the revealed truth. That means something that God has spoken to you that you now understand, Emerald. You now understand it. You see what I'm saying? It's not something that you've read on the page a thousand times and it continues to mean the same thing to you. It's something that now all of a sudden, booms. it's something that's energized by the Spirit of God. And it comes in and it engrafts itself into you. And it becomes a foundation upon which your faith is built. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word or the rhema of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the spoken word of God. The word that God speaks to you, not to me, but to you. But to you. Every single one of us here have words that God is trying to speak right now. Let's open our our ears to the spirit and hear those words. Let's receive our rhema so that the foundation of faith can begin. So if you're in faith, you're expecting. Faith itself is an expectation. It's a persuasion. So you must believe in something to be persuaded of its truth, though, and thus be moved to hope. Abraham was fully persuaded, Romans 4.21 says. So he expected. It says he was fully persuaded. Now, real quickly, I want to just say, and I'm going to end. Seeing is not believing. But yet, that's what you hear. Seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. Seeing is not believing. I've heard folks say that, and even Thomas said that, unless I see, I'm not going to believe. Unless I can put my hands in his scars. Unless I can thrust my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. Don't be that way. That's not faith. You need to be in a position. It's not a matter of seeing. Paul said, don't look at those things which are seen because those are temporary. Look at the things that are not seen because those are what's eternal. I'm here to tell you this morning by the unction of the Spirit of God, the things that you see, folks, are going to pass away. The things that that you're going through, the circumstances one day will be done. But what will remain? The Word of God. That's right. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will remain forever. And I submit to you, it's not just the word logos, it's the word rhema. I haven't looked to see if that's right or not, but I'm just going to tell you this morning, the word is also rhema. It's not just logos. It's the fullness of that life of God's 
energy that flows from his mouth, his creative power and potential. It's his word that will remain forever. So we need to be uh, paired with that. We need to be built upon that word. And we need to focus upon that. And that needs to be as frontlet before our eyes as, as, as it was back in the days. Not to the place that we, through religion, take those things and put them into a, into a box and make this big phylactery that we actually bind to our head like the people do even today. That's not what God was saying when he said, keep my words ever before you, keep them as frontlets before your eyes. He wasn't saying to take the Torah and put it on the smallest paper known to man, roll it up and put it in a little box and strap it to your head. This thing is called a phylactery. People walk around with it all day, you know, this thing strapped to their head. I got the word before me. I got the word before my eyes. Well, that's not what he's talking about. It's symbolic, yes, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about through the eye of faith, you lift up your eyes and you look through the eye of faith and you see and keep your vision there. The word of faith. You keep your vision on what the word says, not on anything else. I submit to you this morning and I'm, going, I'm done after this. This is it. When Jesus said that, when Jesus said, that you look and you say four months and then the harvest. And he said, but I tell you, the harvest, the fields are white unto harvest. What did he say? Lift up your eyes. I say, I say to you this morning, it wasn't that Jesus was lifting up his eyes and seeing the manifest harvest right then and there in the natural. He wasn't seeing an open vision and asking the disciples to look up and see this open vision and see this field white unto harvest. He was saying, look up through the eye of faith. And even before you sow a seed, see the harvest. Even before you step out, see the harvest. He was telling his disciples, you have the, the end in mind before you start. And realize that as you take a step in the Spirit, as you sow the Word with your mouth in the Spirit, as you live, eat, breathe, and sleep in the Spirit, and let the Lord build the house, then when you look up your eyes and you keep your eyes on that horizon of faith, you see the end from the beginning. And that's what God does. God sees the end from the beginning. That's what, that's what lifting up your eyes is. It's looking up and seeing the end from the beginning. And, and let it be just as what God said and let the plowman overtake the harvester. Let's see, see that before the seed's even sown, the harvest already coming in. If you can see that, folks, you will be motivated at every step that God has for you in this process versus us just seeing the first step we've got to take. And that's all we can see. Well, yes, in the natural, that's all you may have. You may only know one door to walk through, but that's not what you keep your eyes on. You keep your eyes on the prize. The word says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What was the joy? It wasn't that he was looking forward to getting up the next day and fulfilling the will of God so much as the joy that he looked long term and the fact that his resur- or his sacrifice and the pain that he was going to go through and the very becoming the very thing that was the antithesis of his father that would cause him to be broken for the first time, the connection, to be broken that he had never seen and could never understand what that was going to be like. For him to look beyond that, 
fear, that potential for fear, that he so agonized to the place in the Garden of Gethsemane that the pressure was so great that it literally sweat as drops of blood. That's what it was agonizing about. He was agonizing about the pressure, that there was a pressure that was exerted upon his soul because there was a fear that was trying to attack him of the unknown, of him being separated from his father. It wasn't just all this physical thing he's going to go through. Of course, there was some issues involved in that. Because there was many prophecies that he would be beat beyond recognition. He knew that was him. But it wasn't just that. It was the fact that he didn't, he had the, he didn't have any concept of what it was going to be like to be separated from God, from his father. That cord had never been broken before. And so I'm telling you, God, Jesus had to stir himself up and lift up his eyes and see his harvest. He had to lift up his eyes and see the joy set before him. And that's what it, why, how he endured the cross. Scorning its shame is what the word says. And I submit to you, every one of us have a cross to bear this morning. Every one of us have things this morning God's called us to do, and it's not easy. It's not easy in the natural. It's not easy on your flesh. It's not easy on your soul. But listen, lift up your eyes this morning. Lift up your eyes this morning and see the fields white unto harvest in your life. See the fields white unto harvest. Before you even sow the seed, see the results of your actions in faith. Amen. Praise God. Okay, praise God. Stand with me this morning. Praise you, Father. I brought forth some word this morning. I brought forth some word that could have stirred faith in someone's heart this morning for healing in their body. I brought forth some word that could have stirred faith this morning for, to, for people to see their needs met this morning. I brought forth some word by the Spirit of God, hallelujah, that I believe there are some people that are going to lift up their eyes and they're going to see the fields widen to harvest in their life. And they're going to pray and ask the Lord to send them into that realm to retrieve and to harvest.